according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark 9. The uh, entire episode begins in verse 33 and takes us down through verse 50. However, we have covered most of this already in the Matthew parallel. We've covered everything we're going, to, we're going to cover in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 35. We had a series of messages in uh, Matthew that all dealt in the realms of humility. For today, though, we're going to begin to look at point three in the outline, Mark and Luke's additional items. Mark and Luke's additional items. This will have an A and a B. And the uh, A part focuses on this man that was casting out demons. So point A in the outline under point three, again, three is Mark and Luke's additional items. Subpoint A, a non-follower was casting out demons. We have parallel accounts for this in Mark and Luke, not recorded in Matthew, but Mark 9, 38 through 41, and Luke 9, verses 49 and 50. They are largely identical. The longer account is to be found in Mark, so let's take a look at it. But Jesus said to them, reading from Mark 9:38. Let me get to Mark 9 instead of Mark 10. Mark 9:38. John said to him, "Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us." But Jesus said, "Do not hinder him, for there is one uh, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me." For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever, and then verse 41, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. All right, so of all the information that's actually omitted in Matthew, this is the first of the two, the uh, non-follower, the non-disciple that was casting out demons. The second one that we'll get to next week in verses 49 and 50 uh, deal with the principles of salt. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Uh, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So we've got a lot of salt to cover, and we will do that under subpoint B next week. For this week, though, let's focus on this uh, demon caster outer. All right. I'm not going to call him an exorcist. That's not a biblical term. But uh, anyway, uh, this demon caster outer. We'll look at him here today. This actually is an episode that spotlights John. We've, we don't see a whole lot of John. He was one of the 12 apostles. He outlived all of them. He wrote the Gospel of John, three epistles, and Revelation. A powerful apostle. However, in the Gospel record itself, he tends to be... Uh, low-key. He tends to be under the radar. He's not mentioned very frequently in his own gospel. He never even mentions himself by name. Very, uh, very uh, private. But here is one of the rare episodes where he does step forward. The Apostle John was concerned over what a non-follower was doing in Jesus' name. The Apostle John was concerned over what a non-follower was doing in Jesus' name. And we'll examine this non-follower and we'll examine some of the other issues here. 
But this is going to be a very practical day. It's going to be a, a lesson that will hopefully spotlight some things very vividly. And I think uh, we've already read through the verses. And I think if I surveyed the audience and said, okay, what do you think are the two or three main points? You'd probably do a pretty well job listing them out there yourselves. Some of this is pretty self-evident, but I do want to bring some details together that might not be so obvious here today. What he's really wrapped up about is the fact that this man is not one of them. Not what he's doing, but who he is or who he's not. And uh, John seems to have this issue here, and we'll, we'll spotlight that in a moment. But again, verse 38, John. It's not John the Baptist. Don't confuse this John with John the Baptist. He's already lost his head by this point. This is John the Apostle, the little brother of James, uh, the two sons of Zebedee, brothers. They were called the sons of thunder, and, and uh, they were two of the closest four disciples that Jesus had. Peter was the closest, and Peter's brother Andrew, and then James and John. Those four are mentioned more than the other eight apostles. And so we think of these four as the closest uh, third of his apostles. All right. Now, under this, let's examine what was going on. Who was, I'm not going to call him the the exorcist, I'm just going to call him the ekbalon. That's what he was doing, casting out demons. The demon caster outer is not named. We don't know the name of this person. Doesn't matter who it was. If he was one of them, then we'd probably know his name. But the Ekbalon, that's the demon caster outer, is not named, but I call him Tina. All right, I call this guy Tina. And you say, well, Tina's a girl's name. Not my fault. All right. If I want to call him Tina, I'm going to call him Tina. Because in the text, and I'm going to go ahead and get the software up here running so you can read it yourself. But in the text, the apostles saw Tina casting out demons. Now, in the Greek, Tina doesn't mean what Tina means in the English. Tina is not a proper name. Tina is a indefinite pronoun just representing someone, somebody, anybody. Not in particular a person, but just anyone that happens to be there in view. The uh, You won't find Tina in most dictionaries because the lexical form is actually tis, T-I-S. But in the accusative, it's Tina. Let's bring it up here and I'll show you what I'm talking about. No, let's go here. Mark chapter 9 and verse 38. Logos likes to give you little sales pitches so you can see what the new books are and spend more money. All right, large enough for the back row? I don't know why younger people sit up front and older people sit back. If we can somehow reverse that, Convince the younger people with the healthier eyes, go on to the back and bring the more experienced folks forward. All right. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone. Now, the the verb we saw is right here, adamant. And adamant, for we saw as an aorist, we saw someone. We saw Tina, T-I-N-A. Greek particle for someone. That's why I'm calling this person Tina. 
So the apostle saw Tina casting out demons. Now the verb to cast out is ekbalo, E-K-B-A-L-L-O, ekbalo. Number 1544 in the Strong's Index, if you use Strong's numbers for your word studies. It is a present active participle. What I'm going to stress in this study today is the verb tenses that are employed, because I think it gets pretty vivid in this. And I also believe that the full dynamic of this is, is a little bit watered down in the uh, most modern translations. And, and so I have a problem with that. I want to... I want to try to strike two words out of your English Bibles today. Um, ooh, scandal. Pastor's crossing words out of our Bible. The, um, crossing words out of an English translation of the Bible. Okay. But they, the apostle saw Tina casting out, with a present active participle of ekbalo, casting out plural demons. Daimonia is a neuter plural. We don't know how many, but there was more than one. Plural demons. And the participle itself is a present tense. Present active participle. Present tense communicates ongoing action in present time. It indicates a continuous action. In other words, they didn't just see a man cast out a demon. He didn't see a man cast out a couple of demons. He saw a man in the present, ongoing, continuous, and repeated process of casting out demons. See, think about something that you do habitually, continually, something that you do uh, on a regular basis. Contrast that with something you've done twice in your life. All right? Uh, you, if it's something you've done once or twice or three times, however, you know, just a minimum time. I've ridden a horse three times in my life. Okay? All three times at Camp Penile out there near Marble Falls uh, in, you know, no more than once per year, you know, over, scattered over about ten years now. All right? So is it fair for me to say, since it's only happened three times in my life, is it fair to say that I ride horses? It's a little bit disingenuous to say that, oh, you know, there's our pastor. He rides horses. No, he doesn't. He has three or four times in the past, but he doesn't habitually, continuously, in present time. Okay? Think about things that you used to do and you don't do them anymore. And it's not confession now. I don't want to know. But whatever it is you used to do that you don't do anymore, it's not right to say, oh, well, yeah, that's something I do. See? No, you don't do that. The impact of this is that as a present active participle, this was a present, ongoing, and repeated activity, or a continuous activity. So the apostles observed Tina, a certain person, someone who shall remain unnamed, continuously, repeatedly, frequently, in the business of casting out demons. And then he confesses, not only did we see him, he uses a plural there. We see him. He also says, we tried to prevent him. The we tells us that, not that he had a mouse in his pocket, tells us that several of the apostles had a problem. Not just John. John wasn't the only one that had a problem with this. Several of the apostles, maybe even, shall we dare say, all of them. If he says we, he doesn't say some of us. He says we. He probably included the entire body of the twelve. 
we tried to prevent him. Indicates that John wasn't the only disciple who had a problem with what Tina was doing. Now, here's where I'm going to cross words out of your English Bibles. Let's go ahead and cross off the words tried to. Okay. And then to make it grammatically proper, go ahead and add your ED on the end of that. We prevented him. We prevented him. The verb is koluo, and there is nothing in the verb itself or the immediate context which waters down the verb that turns it from an action to an attempt. The verb is koluo, K-O-L-U-O. They're both omegas there, long O's, kappa, omega, lambda, upsilon, omega. 2967 if you use Strong's Index numbers for your word studies. Now, again, verb tenses, like we did with the participle. First person plural, indicating John wasn't alone in doing this. It wasn't first person singular. It wasn't I prevented him. First person plural, we prevented him. And an imperfect Continuous action in past time. All right. It's like the continuous action of the present only placed in the past as a continuous action. So in other words, as this man was repeatedly casting out demons, the disciples were repeatedly stopping him. Stopping him from casting out demons. Active voice indicating that the subject was the, the one accomplishing the activity. Indicative mood is the statement of fact. So, kuluo means to hinder, to prevent, or to forbid. To hinder, or to prevent, or to forbid. Not to attempt to, but to do it. So, the verb indicates. I'm going to bring it up here and let you look at it. Now, there are some things you can do with the tools, or if you don't have the software, you can do with paper uh, Bibles and paper dictionaries and whatever else. Uh, right here is your, your verb, ekoluamen, and you can bring it up in your dictionary and say, that, okay, there it is, koluo, and you can read through the, uh, the definitions. Again, to keep something from happening, to hinder or to prevent or to forbid, like we've been saying, in, and it has an application in relationship to persons. Examples that they give there, including uh, Luke and Acts, some of the secular writers, including uh, the uh, church fathers. This is Ignatius to the Romans. Um, there's Tina again, to, to hinder someone, anyone. Uh, examples of that in Mark 9, the passage we're looking at here, as well as Mark 10:14, a passage we'll look at here shortly, uh, and the other scriptures there. I'm gonna, we'll go through these passages together. Sometimes it's used with the verb or the participle legon to say, for example, with a direct discourse afterwards. We'll look at that, Romans 1.13. Even the Septuagint has some uses there. The Apocrypha has some uses. It's a fairly well-known term. Again, Josephus in, in his Antiquities. Boy, you could just spend all day in a dictionary, can't you? A 
As a secondary definition, koluo can be translated with a concept of keeping something back. That is, refusing, denying, or withholding of a thing instead of hindering a person. You can use the same verb, but if the object is a thing rather than a person, then rather than thinking of it as a uh, prevention term, it could be thought of as a withholding term. And there's uh, two examples of that, both Luke's in uh, Acts 10.47 and in Luke 6.29. So this is what you can do in terms of a dictionary search, which you can do to not only examine where it's found in the New Testament, but find Septuagint uses, uses in the Church Fathers, uses in the uh, Apocrypha, if you're really big on reading uh, 1 Maccabees, all right, things like that. If you want to read uh, Plutarch, Josephus, Justinian, um, different secular authors that are available to you there. If you just simply want to look up the word and say, all right, show me every time in the New Testament where that word is found, we can do that too. Called the Englishman's Concordance. Some of you have the print copy of an Englishman's Concordance. And this will uh, show you every place where koluo is used in the New Testament with a snippet. All right. And I'll shrink it just a touch so we can see more of the snippet there. For example, Matthew 19:14, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. Sound familiar? The disciples were trying to prevent the child from coming forward. They were trying to koluo the child from coming forward. And Jesus said, don't do that. Do not hinder them from coming to me. Uh, we have the uh, use there in Mark 9:38 and 39. It's coming up again in Mark 10:14, again. Uh, let the, uh, the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God consists of such. Uh, Luke chapter 6, whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Okay, There the object is a thing rather than a person, so you're not preventing the coat, but you are withholding the coat. See, you can prevent a person, you can withhold a thing. And so if uh, someone takes away your coat, uh, do not withhold your shirt from him either. In other words, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give him the shirt off your back. The uh, application of love there to your enemies. Uh, Luke 9, 49 and 50 is the parallel to our text this morning in Mark 9. It's the same context where they hindered or tried to. I think that the words tried to are, are useless insertion. They did prevent him. And we'll see that again in the imperative that, God, that the Lord utters. Luke 11.52, in rebuking the uh, Pharisees as blind guides of the blind, that not only did you yourselves did not enter, you hindered those who were entering. Okay? Now, if in any of these contexts the snippet doesn't jog your memory or remind you what was that passage all about, then it's just simply a matter of, of clicking it and popping it up and looking at the verse and seeing the whole thing or actually going to that passage and seeing its complete context. Um, when they accused Christ in Luke 23, 2, this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Did Jesus forbid them to pay taxes to Caesar? No, he actually paid his taxes and said, you know what, that's Caesar's picture on the coin, give it to him. All right. But the lying accusations they laid were that, oh, he was prohibiting us from paying taxes. So that's the term, koluo, to prevent. The disciples were preventing this man from casting out demons. 
we get into, uh, we leave the Gospels, we get into Acts, and the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, and he says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? What koluo prevents me? What would hinder me? What's stopping me? Let's get it done. And Philip says, okay. He went and baptized him. In Acts 10, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. Cornelius got saved. And uh, Peter said, you know what? God has offered salvation to the Gentiles just like to the Jews. The Holy Spirit's come upon them. What prevents them from uh, partaking in the ritual of water baptism? Chapter 11, who was I that I should stand in God's way? Another way of rendering that is who am I that I should prevent God, that I should hinder God? That I should coluo God. Paul in his missionary journey in Acts 16 was uh, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak. That's why they couldn't enter into the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak. See, God was directing Paul's path and did not allow him to go into that region at that time. He'd been there before and he'd be there again, but at that time he was not able to go in there. Acts 24:23. even though he was under arrest... He still had some freedom, and uh, they did not prevent, the Romans did not prevent any of Paul's friends from ministering to him. Acts 27, uh, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention. That is, prevented those that were trying to put Paul to death. Uh, Paul in Romans 1.13, he says, I wanted to come to you all this time, but so far I have been prevented. He had not been to Rome when he wrote the book of Romans. First uh, Corinthians 14:39. Desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. We taught that in our First Corinthians series. Of course, that was during the charismatic age of the early church, where those gifts were still valid and functioning. First uh, Thessalonians 2:16. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, what the opponents were trying to do. First Timothy 4:3. Talking about false teachers and what are some of the things they do? Men who forbid marriage. Men who coluo marriage, if you prevent marriage and say, oh, no, no, you have to remain unmarried. You must remain celibate to hold this priesthood. It's a false teaching that Paul warned about. Hebrews 7.23, that why the Levitical priesthood was so inferior? Well, they were prevented by death from continuing. <laughs> you know, so, sorry, as soon as you're dead, you can't be a priest anymore. Hard to show up for work the next morning if you're dead. So... They were prevented by death from continuing, which is what makes Christ's priesthood so glorious. He abides eternally, ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And, of course, they existed in greater numbers because of that and had to keep replacing themselves. Second <clears throat> Peter 2.16, speaking of the donkey and Balaam, that the donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Again, it's not a person so much as a thing, the idea of withholding or restraining. The last use is in 3 John, verse 10. Receive the brethren. Actually, the, the opponent there in the context. Diotrephes. Couldn't think of his name. <clears throat> For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and forbids those who desire to do so. See, he shows no hospitality to traveling apostles and prophets and Bible teachers. And then he prohibits others who want to do so from doing so, and excommunicates them, puts them 
out of the church. What a terrible situation. All right. So this is the idea. Now, in all of these examples, we've now looked at every verse where koluo occurs in the New Testament. And in no aspect was it watered down to a simple attempt. Right? Oh, we tried to stop him. No, you stopped him. All right? You hindered him. <coughs> you hindered them. That's what the apostles were doing. All right, point two. This episode is similar to a concern that Joshua had. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but Joshua had a similar concern. In fact, Joshua was jealous for Moses' sake. This episode is similar to a concern that Joshua had for Moses' reputation. Numbers 11, verses 27 through 30. So let's glance back to Numbers. I find a lot of similarity between the Apostle John and Joshua. Interestingly enough, they were both quite young when they were first called into service. They both trained under a tremendous master, and then they continued on in their own ministries after their master had died. A lot of uh, similarities there. <coughs> we don't know how young John was to be a disciple of Jesus Christ from A.D. 30 and then to still be ministering and writing books of the Bible 67 years later in uh, the late 90s uh, up to 100-104 A.D. when uh, the uh, apostolic tradition, was, the church father's tradition was that he was put to death. So he must have been quite young in order to uh, still be in the ministry some 60 years later. Let's see, how old am I going to be on my 60th anniversary in the ministry? Goodness. I don't want to be here that long. <laughs> All right. But John had a ministry that lasted that long. All right. So here's another young man, Joshua, in Numbers 11. <laughs> the context begins back in verse 26. But two men had remained in the camp. Now, the 70 elders were supposed to go out there and be stationed around the tent, and they were going to become the spirit-filled assistants to Moses. And evidently, uh, only 68 of them actually made it out there. Two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad. The name of the other was Medad. And the uh, Spirit rested upon them. See, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to overlook them just because they couldn't attend or didn't attend or whatever else was going on. We don't know why they weren't there. It just says they weren't there. It, uh, I would assume it was for a legitimate reason that they weren't carnal or rebellious or the Holy Spirit wouldn't come upon them. I think this is a, a great illustration that, uh, that we're not going to fall short or the Holy Spirit's not going to fall short if we happen to be... Um, out of place at the wrong wrong place, wrong time. Holy Spirit's still going to be there for us. Anyway, so uh, the Holy Spirit rested upon them. Now, they were among those who had been registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses, from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. Make them quit. Make them stop. In fact, it'd be kind of neat. We should look at the Septuagint of that and see if the Septuagint uses koluo there for the Hebrew. I don't know. Anyway, he wants it stopped. Whether he uses koluo or not, it's the same concept. 
says, this has to stop. Why? Weren't they registered with the others? Sure. They had been appointed. They had been registered. They were designed. They were supposed to have this role. They, had, uh, they failed to be there in attendance on the designated time. We don't know why, for whatever reason. And Joshua says, all right, that's it. They've got to stop. And you can just imagine, see, well, they didn't follow the rules. They, they missed class. They weren't there in time or whatever. So make them stop. They forfeit whatever it was they were supposed to do, right? Kick them out of the ministry. And Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? See, this attitude, we have it specifically described as jealousy on Joshua's part. When we get back to the book of Mark, it's not spelled out that it's jealousy on John's part. But in all likelihood it is. It seems similar and it seems related. And the, uh, the, the issue that the apostles had, not was that they were casting out demons. What's wrong with casting out demons? Seems like a good thing. I mean, in my book, the fewer demoniacs that are in town, the better. And what could possibly be right about stopping a demon expulsion? What could possibly be right about leaving a person under demonic influence? I think they were jealous over someone doing what they were supposed to be doing. And we'll look at that too. So Moses specifically, I think rightly so here, pinpoints Joshua's jealousy. He says, are you jealous for my sake? <laughs> you know, Moses is like, if I'm not jealous about it, why are you jealous about it? For me? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. This expression here is Moses' wildest dreams. He says, as far as he's concerned, he'd be happy if everybody had the Holy Spirit. If only Moses could have lived to see the church age, huh? <laughs> right? And not only for everybody to have the filling of the Holy Spirit, but to be invested in a prophetic office. See? Which is exactly what's going to take place in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. All flesh will have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them, but the Jewish people will be the anointed prophets upon this earth. So Moses returned to the camp of he and the elders of Israel. So it's very similar and uh, remarkably enough that if John and the other disciples would have had a uh, concept for this, the doctrinal understanding of this, then they wouldn't have made that mistake. It's like, how do you read the Old Testament, see what happens there? To me, that's why we have the double accountability. You know, when you read, it'd be like somebody in the New Testament looking at somebody in the Old Testament sin and not learning from that. Right? All right. Point three. The disciples weren't bothered by the activity itself. It wasn't the activity itself. But they were unwilling to accept an outsider doing what they were authorized to do. The disciples weren't bothered by the activity itself. And the emphasis is that he is not one of us. He is not your follower like us. And that's a flawed estimation anyway. <laughs> Tina, this man, I'm calling Tina, was casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. 
So if he's casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ, who here thinks he's a follower of Jesus Christ? I think he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, he wasn't enumerated with the twelve, but he was a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't doubt that at all. <coughs> Again, point three. The disciples weren't bothered by the activity itself. But were unwilling to accept an outsider doing what they were authorized to do. Remember, when he summoned the twelve, what did he do? He gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to even raise the dead. See, and that was authority they had received, delegated authority as apostles of the Lamb. See, now did everybody receive that authority? No. And were these twelve pretty special, pretty set apart, pretty unique? Weren't they not rather grace favored to have such a responsibility? You bet. It was a special privilege. It was a special responsibility. If I would have been alive and on the earth at that time, and in the day, I would have wanted to have been one of them too. Why not? Sure. It was an honor. See. But it's one thing to have, to receive a grace provision, but then to become jealous because somebody else has something similar. It's like, well, I can have this. Because it's special and I'm special. But they can't have this. Who do they think they are? All right. The emphasis on it there in verse 38. We saw Tina casting out demons. I want you to see this here too. Let me put it back up here. All right, here is the we saw. We saw Tina. Now the next expression, in your name. Ento anamati su, in your name. Right? Then the activity. What was he doing? Ekbalo, casting out, daimonia, demons plural. Okay? And then the disciples' activity. And uh, here's Koluo in the plural. We prevented him. Now here's the reason why. Let me switch to my favorite fuchsia. Oh, I like teal. We can do this one too. Here's the because, the hati. The hati statement gives us the reason, the purpose clause, the, the justification for their behavior. Uk, the negative uk, ekalufe, hemin. He is not following us. He is not following us. It wasn't the activity. It wasn't what he was doing. It's who he was or who he wasn't. He is not following us. A kaluthe, a kaluthe, all right? Or was not following us as an imperfect. So we, and, and, and the prevention here too is interesting. It's a present, it's an it's a imperfect tense, continuous action. So the continuous action of his casting out was matched by their continuous action of preventing him. 
He was continuously casting out demons. We were continuously preventing him. Why? Because he was not continuously following us. All right. Not just he wasn't a follower of Jesus. Not that he wasn't following you. He wasn't following us. <laughs> Interesting. All right. In their minds, <coughs> in their minds, Tina was not an acolyte of Jesus because Tina was not in their group. In their minds, Tina, whoever this certain man was, this demon caster outer, was not an acolyte. That's the word for follower. Akalutheo is the Greek word to follow. The uh, English word acolyte comes from that. The Roman church and other Romanish-like liturgical churches have acolytes, don't they? All right? It's a legitimate concept, I suppose, but we should all be acolytes. We should all be followers, take up our cross and follow him. But in their minds, because he wasn't with them, then uh, they had to put him. They had to stop what he was doing. Now, is that <coughs> why stop him? Were they were they anxious to do all the demon casting out themselves? Were they afraid that by the time Jesus came to town, that this man would have all the demons cleared out of there, and Jesus wouldn't have anything to do? Maybe. Well, what if, yeah, what if this guy, whoever it was, Tina, what if Tina cleared out all the demons and then Jesus walked in and, and, and wasn't able to show off his power? Then, you know, people in this town would say, oh, Tina's pretty special. Let's ignore this Jesus guy. Look at Tina. He cast out all these demons. All right. I, I think there really was that element of jealousy, like when Moses told Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? But in their minds, Tina was not a follower of Jesus because Tina was not in their group. And this is the prideful attitude that creeps into other churches, creeps into our church, creeps into lots of churches. That, oh, well, if, you know, there's so-and-so, a certain one, Tina. All right, we have our own Tinas in our own generation. Say, well, Tina, yeah, you know what, they're saved and everything. But they're not an Austin Bible church. What does that mean? They're not one of us. Okay? What are you trying to say? <laughs> you know? Are you doubting? What are you doubting exactly? Is this the only church in town where a believer has to be in the will of God? Very dangerous if you start segregating uh, brothers in Christ simply because they're not part of our individual portion of the flock. They may not be designed to be. See? All right, so we have the struggle with it there. Although the disciples repeatedly hindered Tina, I'm convinced that they repeatedly hindered him. They were successful in hindering him. Not that they tried to, they did. Although the disciples repeatedly hindered Tina, Jesus ordered them to stop hindering him. Stop hindering him. In Mark 9.39 and in Luke 9.50, the 
prohibition is the same. The vocabulary is the same. The syntax is the same. The grammar is the same. The understanding is undeniable. Although the disciples repeatedly hindered Tina, Jesus ordered them to stop hindering him. Stop doing it. Jesus probably was uh, kind of thankful. <laughs> you know, nice change of pace. Get to a town that's not racked with demons for a change. How about that? Thank you, Tina. I appreciate your clearing the way here before I got to town. I can focus on Bible class. I don't have to scrub the demons out of here first. Jesus ordered them to stop hindering him. This, is, again, is another indicator that they were successful in what they were doing. The, the imperative or the prohibition is here as may kaluata. It's kaluo again, just like we had before. Only now it's an imperative and now it's negated with the may. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Greek has two ways to express a prohibition. We've got scads of ways in English, but there's two main ways right here. All right. The, um, and a prohibition is just a negative command, right? A command is a positive imperative where you say, do something, whatever, right? Pick an imperative. Your fa- what's your favorite imperative? Just pick one. Say, go to bed, right? You have children? Go to bed. There's an imperative. Go to bed. That's an imperative, okay? A prohibition is just a negative imperative. Don't. Don't do that. Don't go to bed. Or something like that. Okay. Now, there's two ways you can express a prohibition. Either don't, don't even start, don't ever, don't now, don't start, don't ever, or stop. Because if the activity is already in progress, right, we say, don't do drugs. We tell our children, don't do drugs. In other words, you've never done drugs, don't even start, don't do drugs. Okay. If they're doing drugs and it's already started, it's something that's ongoing, then we can rephrase it and say, stop. Stop doing drugs. Stop the activity already in progress. There's a difference. And Greek has the, both ways that it can be produ- uh, expressed. In this case, may plus the present imperative, what we have there, there's may, there's the present imperative of koluo, it's may koluita. May plus the present imperative means stop an activity already in progress. In other words, stop preventing him. John says, Teacher, we saw Tina casting out demons in your name and we repeatedly prevented him. So cross off the words tried to and write in repeatedly. We repeatedly prevented him because he was not our follower. He was not following us. But Jesus said, stop hindering him. Stop hindering him. Point six. He who is not against us is for us. This is a grace principle that we can apply today. We should apply today. He who is not against us is for us. See, they were concerned that they weren't of us. They're not following us. And Jesus says, okay, they're not following us. 
But they're not against us either. And if they're not against us, they're for us. Okay? On our behalf, to our benefit, for our sake, and all the rest. For us. It's not about following us. It's about for or against. And if you're not against us, you're for us. That's what the the body of Christ is designed to do. Now, this is not a church age passage. This is a dispensation of Israel passage. But as a principle, it applies in any given stewardship. It gives us a relaxed mental attitude towards others. He was not against us. Now, this grace orientation serves believers well today in terms of biblical ecumenicalism. What a misunderstood concept. Ecumenicalism. It can be applied very well. It can be applied very uh, poorly. But if this verse is the centerpiece, then we'll understand what ecumenicalism is all about. You know the term ecumenicalism? You know what it means? Cooperating, getting along with other denominations okay so put it into a church age application who is against us and who is not against us all right and can we relax against the other individuals are we able to have a relaxed mental attitude against the other individuals I think, too, we want to have a, uh, a clear recognition of who folks are and the ones that really are against us and for the reasons why they are, say. Um, <laughs> Muslims, are they for us or are they against us? It's pretty obvious, okay? Not popular to say these days and get in trouble for saying it. But their God demands that they kill us if we don't convert to their God. That sounds pretty hostile. All right. Baptists. <laughs> I had to hit the Muslims first, now I'll hit the Baptists. Are the Baptists against us? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And see, it doesn't mean that we work with them. It doesn't mean that we agree with everything they're doing. But it means that we don't hinder what they're doing. It's not our business. If they're not hindering what we're doing, you know, we don't pass a plate. They pass a plate. Who cares? They pass a plate on Sunday morning. We don't. Are they stopping us from passing a plate? No. Or are they making us pass a plate? No. They're not hindering us. We're not hindering them. Ideally, we're all serving Jesus Christ and we will all receive our accountability at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Provides for us a grace orientation and a relaxed mental attitude. Now, uh, you know, the, any, if, they, if they name the name of Christ and they're not hindering what we do, can we have a relaxed mental attitude about who they are, where they are, and what they're doing? And if we can't have a relaxed mental attitude, why not? What's the hang-up we have? Are we jealous or for something? Now, again, I threw out some pretty obvious um, 
no one here was was tripped up with Muslims or with Baptists, but what about uh, Methodists? Are they for us or against us? What about Lutherans? Okay. What about Roman Catholics? Now, wait a minute. You say, well, <laughs> which ones? What are you talking about? Okay. I think we've got to be cautious. All right. We'll have more on that in our ministry workshop classes. Let's wrap it up then with point seven. I, per- I personally believe that Roman Catholics are not for us. That they are worshiping the Queen of Heaven and they are not for us. That's my personal belief. There are regenerate individuals here and there in the Roman Church. But as an institution, that church is not for us. And uh, they are, in fact, against us, if you understand their theology. All right. Miracles in Jesus' name and ministry to Jesus' followers will be key features in the coming tribulation of Israel. The last bits here, what Mark was talking about, apply here But ultimately, they're going to have their greatest fulfillment in the pending tribulation of Israel. We read it again in Mark 9.39. But the point again is point seven. Miracles in Jesus' name. And ministry to Jesus' followers will be key features in the coming tribulation of Israel. As it says in Mark 9.39, Jesus said, Do not hinder him. For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. It's a neat feature of how God defends the name of his son. And it's a way that you can put, it's a way that you can put these miracle workers to the test. Now in the dispensation of Israel, they had to put miracle workers to the test. In the apostolic church, they had to put miracle workers to the test. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. See, to examine, you put them to the test and found them to be false apostles. It was critical in the apostolic church to put them to the test and determine whether they were true apostles or false apostles. In our dispensation, it's not as critical because we understand that the signs and the wonders have been concluded. However, the concept is there. If a miracle is being done, it's either granted by the Father legitimately in the name of Jesus Christ, or it's a phony. It's a worker of the devil who's counterfeiting the deeds of God and passing it off as if it's in Jesus' name. So here's how you tell. If he's done a miracle, and if he has claimed that, oh, this is in the name of Jesus... God the Father does not permit. Notice, he will not soon afterward be able to speak evil of me. It will not be allowed. It will not be allowed. God the Father is not going to allow a a spectacular miracle to lead the people astray, to have that miracle followed up with a message of evil. God the Father won't allow that. All right. I want to have about four minutes left. Um, We also have it in verse 41, the treatment of the followers. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name uh, as of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward, that there is a benefit to being of Christ 
and the treatment of them as of Christ is going to be significant. So let's peek ahead to chapter 13 in Mark. And then we'll show you in Matthew 24 and 25 where we have more information on that. See, one of the features of the last days, for example, Mark 13, uh, 14, when you see the abomination of desolation. Okay, that was what Daniel spoke of. It was not fulfilled in the Maccabean times because Jesus says it's yet future in his day. So when you see the abomination of desolation, then you've got to run as fast as you can. And hopefully you're not pregnant because that will slow you down. Then... Um, he says that the, those days in verse 19, those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. It's a unique period of human experience. There's nothing like it. The Nazi Holocaust was nothing compared to the great tribulation that's on the way. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. There was a potential that Satan's evil could have uh, exterminated the human race. Of course, God's in control and he limits what the adversary does. If anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he's there, do not believe him. For a false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. See, and this is why God puts a mechanism in so that even with the signs and the wonders, even if he does a wonder, the message that immediately follows that wonder, you see how God limits that message. It cannot be a message of hostility against Jesus Christ or the plan of God. And it goes on. Um, parallel text here in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. About one minute remaining. Of course, I started two minutes late. We'll see how that works. Matthew 24. A couple of lengthy stretches. Verses 9 through 13. They will deliver you to tribulation, will kill you, be hated by all nations because of my name. All nations. See, as of right now, there's at least one nation that's, as a rule, defending the nation of Israel. For now. Alright. But in the great tribulation, every nation on the planet will reject the Jewish people. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And interestingly enough, why do people hate the Jews? For lots of different reasons. In the tribulation, they're going to hate the Jews because of Jesus Christ. I find that to be significant. Uh, many will fall away, will betray one another, hate one another, false prophets will arise, uh, lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, if you can survive the seven years, Christ is coming back. That's not a gospel loser salvation threat, that's the uh, nature of the tribulation uh, situation there. Verses 23 and 24. If anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, there he is, do not believe him. False Christ, false prophets will arise, show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So this is a feature of the tribulation. Miracles in Jesus' name 
by those that are hostile to Jesus. That will be a feature in the tribulation. Also, how do people treat the Jewish people will be a feature of the tribulation. Matthew 25. We'll come back to this next week. I know I'm going way too fast here. We'll come back next week and touch on this again. Because this is uh, to the extent you did to one of these, the least of these you did to me. How they treat the followers of Christ is significant. And in fact, it will have bearing upon their entrance into the kingdom at the sheep and goat judgment here. Likewise, verse 45, when you did harm to the uh, least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. Miracles in Jesus' name and ministry to Jesus' followers. Okay, well, almost got through it. It's two minutes after. I guess we're even. Thank you, Father, for this day, for the truth and reward, and for preventing any, uh, for colluing any uh, harm from stepping in here today. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.